This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give our thanks to our patrons, Kate Prostaskius, Leroy, Josh, Tiana, Falangor, Spike, Chris, Logan, Punch and Potato, and Jen Solo. Thank you all for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another questionable episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Welcome your, back. Your adjectives always give me a chuckle. You know, I I try. I try. It's it's become a thing, so I try to keep it a thing, you know? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It helps give us an identity. It does. It does. And uh, I know it's not always related, but, uh, well, you know, maybe that's maybe that's half the fun of this show is listening, if only just to find out whether the word I chose has anything to do with anything or not. It's like a <laughs> it's like a little fun mystery every episode. That is true. It's always something to to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we had a good little week. Um, yeah. Had a buddy come by. What was his name? Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah, it was you. Oh, it was me. It was you. Yeah, yeah you came down. Right. That, that was your uh, Christmas present from your wife to come come see your old pal Adam. Eat some, yeah. eat some food, paint some minis. We basically painted minis like the whole time. <laughs> and I don't regret it at all. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was a good time. I always uh, have to shake up, all, uh, shake off all the rust. You know, I always got, I always forget everything, and then you know, it kind of comes back, kind of near the end. You know. Oh yeah, I honestly uh, wound up kind of refreshing myself on a few things. I had um, for a while there, I had kind of forgotten the the finer points of wet blending and right near the end there on uh, our last day, I, I kind of focused up on one little spot on one of these cool minis that we got. And I really got the hang of it again. I was like, Oh yeah, that's how we do it. And it just, it was all coming together as uh, as our good buddy Kronk says, um, and it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. And I uh, would be remiss if I did not say that you have uh, definitely improved on the mini painting front as well. I I remember when you uh, started like really taking an honest crack at it, you were having some issues with kind of being patient with the process, but you've gotten much better at kind of taking your time with things and your, your minis have uh, shown the benefits of that. You know, just trying to sure. 
find a method that does work, you know, for you, like for your personality oh, yeah. is, is important, you know, and I find that, you know, often the same with drawing, you know, that you're supposed to like kind of do your structure and then you kind of do some shapes and then you do some more stuff. And it's always like in these big passes. Right. And yep. And that stuff's really, I mean, that's really the kind of the proper way to do things, frankly, but you know, it's always not, not always the most motivational for me. Like I have to see, I have to be able to get into the good stuff like right away. And yeah, it, you know, so doing that a little bit with the mini painting was, was helpful, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was cool. That was a fun, a little bit more of a organic process. There was also a lot of experimentation, like, Hey, what happens if I try this? Most of which yeah. ended in failure, but useful failure, certainly. Hey, so. I mean, you know, they, they do say that, uh, you know, oftentimes you typically can learn a lot more from, yeah, from mistakes and failures than successes. So, that's I mean, true. that's, that's a win overall. Oh yeah, I would absolutely. Say. Yeah. And, and of course your, your work's always very, very strong. And so oh, thank you. I took, uh, Andrew over to see the kids that I, that I teach once a week and, uh, had him be kind of the master for the day there showing them. Oh, how, I felt how, very special how, how to paint and stuff. And he did a stellar job. He worked really well with those kids. Oh, and thanks. They, they were pretty into it. So yeah, it was a very positive experience. We had a good time together. So yes, yeah. indeed. You uh, took me to this really excellent restaurant to, um, what was it, Arizona Wilderness? That's right, Arizona Wilderness. It was, it was It's one of my favorite spots. It's a really, uh, you know, for anyone who's kind of down in that area but maybe hasn't heard of it, definitely go check it out. It's a uh, really awesome sort of... Uh, a brewery, I would, I would say it probably best yeah, classifies it's, as it's a, you know, good pub food, burgers, fries. Yeah. You, uh, it's like an elevated you, pub kind of. Yeah. Uh, you wound up having as well as a burger. You got this, uh, this Buffalo cauliflower that looked terrific. Yeah. I like that dish. That's good. But yeah, yeah, the burgers themselves are are very generous. Let's say they're they're pretty big, big juicy things. They sure are, and uh, they have some really interesting sort of novel choices. And they fry everything in duck fat, which is really cool. And then mm. you know, and like you say, you got the brewery there, so there were all these different kinds of beers to try, which were which were great. I was, and every time I go, they're a little different. So. Oh yeah, I'm I'm not even much of a beer guy, and I tasted a few, and I didn't taste a one that uh, that I disliked. Unfortunately, I got hit with kind of a bad bout of indigestion, so I couldn't eat or drink very much of it. But all the same, uh, what I did have was freaking terrific. I'd go back there in a heartbeat for sure. So yeah, and, uh, muchos gracias for introducing me to that. Absolutely. And thank you for driving me home afterwards. <laughs> oh, you bet, man. Because I mean, you know, this would be a different show if uh, if it was just me. Right. It would be a different show. And dare I say a worse one? Oh, definitely. 
man, you you took no time with that. Like there was no thinking about it. Just well, frankly, unequivocally. Yeah, and the numbers don't lie. I, it's worse when it's just me. That we actually know. We just guess as to what it would be with just you. I see. For me, ignorance is bliss um, because there's a little tiny part of me that because we don't know for sure could plausibly say that it would still be good. You know, it's it's Schrodinger's podcast episode, right? You know, until it exists, until you find out for sure you can at least trick yourself into thinking that it could possibly pass muster. Well, you would definitely be able to fill time that much. I will say for sure. I could agree with that (laughs) for sure, for sure. But, you know, speaking of filling time, uh, are we, we always like to intro super hard. Um, Is there anything no, we Crazy can dive going right on in for you. You want to jump in? We can jump in. Let's just jump right in and get going because I think we're we going to have a big lot. One tonight. Yeah, we have a big one and there's a lot to talk about. There's the, and we're going to have to actually temper ourselves with each of these. So, well, I'll I'll say this. Why don't we if it comes to it, we can even make this a two parter. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how yeah. it goes. I tried to not highlight things that were like too redundant sure we, we can discuss as we go but without further ado let's get to it i do okay so for our topic today uh we just want to talk about questions like you know for anyone that listens to this show and if you don't then i teach a dungeons and dragons class at the high school where i work it's called so cool. interactive storytelling, and I've on my like fourth iteration of doing it, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, we just got done with uh, learning about some writing stuff, and I'm getting them prepared for their their last D and D game. So for the last two about two weeks or so, they'll just run the same games. And I have be cool. a quick question about well, 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 your class. Well, hang on just a second, just so I okay. can in, like intro the, the topic. And that okay. is I basically made them all ask me questions about D&D. So mm. at, at this point, they've all had a couple of chances to play the game. Uh, some of them have been GMs. I would say about a third of the class has had the opportunity to be GMs. Uh, and everybody Any standouts and everybody's gotten some some playtime. Yes, I've had some really strong standouts. You know, I have nice. one kid that uh, has been with me in my club and he's taken a lot of my classes before. And so he just knows what's up, you know, and he's that's always nice. You know, like he ran like some Curse of Strahd for a group Ooh, like he's now we're talking and he definitely likes the darker side of the game. Um, mm. But I also have this girl who. You know, when in the last year I've known her, she's always been very quiet, very in her shell, very to herself. Nothing and wrong with that. With Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I just could never tell if I was kind of getting anywhere with Definitely. her. And, uh, you know, one, one day she was in my class and 
like after the whole class was over, she like walks up to me all quiet and she hands me her drawing book and I look through it. And I'm like, wow, you know, these are pretty great. You know, you've got some some good anatomy things going here. You're drawing the right things. Mm. Here's some feedback, you know, on on what, you know, I would say to work on. And, you know, but I was very positive, very encouraging. Right. And of course. And she was like, cool. And then she started like coming back like a week later and was like, you know, showing me some more stuff she had done. And and we kind of went back and forth like this for a while. And then she joined my interactive storytelling class. And a couple of weeks ago, I was asking for volunteers for, for GMs. And I was shocked as she raised her hand wow. and volunteered for it. I didn't even like calling her. And she's like, I want to be a GM. And I was like, oh, man, I should really wow. give her this opportunity. But I kind of feel like maybe she might have a hard time because she's so, you know, kind of introverted, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, well, we'll see what happens. And hey, if someone's got the guts to step up. That's true, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, and it does take guts. Most of them are too terrified to give it a try. Right. And uh, anyway, she she does it. And I mean, she absolutely knocks it out of the park. Wow. Every time I was looking over at her table, they were like laughing and having fun. And I would come in close and I'd be like, okay, but are they like doing the game? Right. (laughs) Right. And like, no, they're into it and they're into the story and like they're paying close attention to her. And wow, it was just it's just been great to watch her kind of come out of her shell. That (laughs) man congratulations to her and you i mean that's a that's a major victory i love it i love it you know that's it's it's uh, little moments like that 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 make the profession worth it um yeah so what was that question that you were going to ask me my my question just real quick because um i do want to get into these uh general questions that your class asked, but given that you are on your fourth iteration of the class, I I'm interested to, to hear your take on like, how would you say the class has evolved from when you started it to now? Like what have you, how did it start? how have you changed it and kind of what are your opinions now on <clears throat> teaching essentially role-playing games right yeah at, it's, in a school setting in, in an official class it is uh well when i first started the reason why i was doing so was because we were going online full-time Right. Uh, Because of the pandemic. And I wasn't teaching this as a class. Uh, I had the club going, but that was it. Right. And so the first time I taught it was actually through Roll20 to like if we wanted to play any games. So Mm -hmm. people had to like join the like Google call to be like counted for attendance. Right. And and then the whole thing. Then we would do like these breakout rooms and they would have their own roll 20 game that they had to develop and mm-hmm. like, like get together and, and play in. And then I would like basically pop around from room to room and just check on them. And that was really difficult. So a lot of time had to be spent 
doing um like technical how to use roll 20 stuff yeah and, and then a lot of it was also about writing because i'm also very into writing so sure. we would talk about like hero's journey stuff and character arcs you know things that we covered at like the first session of the or first season of our show yeah um you know rules about dialogue you know pacing stuff like that and so Which, then they're they're handed if, there ended up having to be a lot of writing assignments if any of the listeners uh have jumped into the show uh very recently and you know if you're just picking up now definitely go back to those uh first seasons because uh we we do get into a bunch of that stuff and there's a ton of really great information so yeah yeah absolutely um but you know i noticed that i was asking for a lot from the writing end of things yeah and they um they they definitely just were having a hard time with that like during shutdown um there was a, a lot of well shutdown for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like kids just kind of like lost all motivation. Yeah. And it was really hard to get them to write anything or to show up to class at all or really right. do much of anything. And, and grades absolutely tanked. Well, we started coming back in person and right away I noticed a, a huge difference. Right. Mm. And they, were they were definitely doing a lot better and the game in many ways was was sort of easier to engage with um yeah because you know i teach in an area where dnd is heard of but you know maybe not widely played and mm-hmm. i get a lot of students that are here because they need fine art or elective or something and they don't they're right. not really interested in it like it would be a totally different beast if if it was always like I got the kids that like dig it and want to do it. Right. Right. Most of the students that, that pass through go, Oh, it's now I know what it is. And that's pretty neat, but I don't think I would do this regularly. Mm. Right. Every now and then I get a few converts, but it's, it's really just one of those, it's an activity like any other. And yeah, and it, and it draws some people and doesn't for others. Do you feel um, like you get, uh, like a couple converts each, each, uh, I, I guess I'll say each class, each class like every time set. I teach it. Yeah, I think so. I, I definitely get some and I, and maybe more importantly, I get some kids that, that are familiar, but we elevate their, their craft. Right. And we get them better at it. And, and that's a, that's much easier to do. I find nice. It, it's so the biggest difficulty is really teaching fifth edition. And I wouldn't yeah. say that fifth edition is the hardest iteration of D and D by any means. Oh, because it definitely is not <laughs> because it definitely isn't right. Like I think it's very approachable. Everything at the, at, at its base core is like D 20 plus a static bonus. And then, I mean, they, that was core to the design philosophy of this edition from the get go is, was, approachability but what we're finding is that like they're just not reading yep you know and so i i have to do better at this and i've done some more of this but like more assignments that require referencing actual page numbers 
Yeah. Because like you kind of hope that the interest of the hobby itself will cause them to read the book. Like if nothing else, there's all these great illustrations. Well, I mean, shoot, how many people who just are in the hobby don't don't read read. books? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I get stuff wrong all the time still. I mean, there's a lot to know, but understanding the basics shouldn't take long. Frankly, you know, it really shouldn't be difficult to understand that you lift things with strength and you throw things with dexterity and, you know, and you just add a bonus from that. And if you're particularly trained in something, you add a bonus based on your level. That's all. That's all there is. And like, like at its absolute core, that's what there is. And for some reason, you know, I still go from table to table and find that they struggle with doing a basic attack roll or skill check. Hmm. You know, uh, I've also started to notice for the first time ever they've been having difficulty discerning which die type is which um which what? is very strange that's um wow yeah, okay it's been very very weird so anyway there's a lot of challenges and i would say i'm still very much in like developing and learning what this is yeah and, and what the best version of it should look like Mm. But by and large, I would I would say it's getting better and we're getting closer Good. to whatever that answer is. But I guess my, my my the short version of the answer would be if you're trying to teach someone this game, try to teach them to rely on the book, try to teach them to navigate and use it. I've had several students that don't know how to use a table of contents and they don't know how to use an index. Wow. And I was showing a student how to use the index today and they asked me, is it in alphabetical order? You know, and this is not, it's not their fault, right? Right. For whatever reason, this didn't get explained or it didn't get practiced. Right. How is it possible? How is it possible? Like, yes, we're in the digital age, but that's still not an excuse to not know how to navigate a book. Right. So if you're attending, what are you doing at school if you're not looking at a book? Come on. Yeah. So... And again, that's not to disparage the student because they just they have an honest, earnest question. Right. If anything, I'm just I am disparaging the the education system from, you know, which they came from that was responsible for teaching them how to use a dang index. That's I'm sorry, but that's just frustrating to me. Yeah. No, I can certainly understand that 100 percent. Well, you know, speaking of questions, as you mentioned you yeah. got some questions from your class and we're going to try to start answering some. Okay. So some of these are really simple and easy to understand. And some of them are questions where like the whole community is always trying to answer all the time. Mm. Right. So you'll, you'll get a sense as we get going, but yeah, let's sure. start with the first one. All right. So here's okay. the first question. This one's very simple. How do I know when it's a good time to do a check, like perception check? Mm. Like when should people make a check, Andrew? What do you think? When? Well, there are there are a very few kind of uh, ABC questions that you just get used to asking yourself. And one 
is there a reasonable chance that your that the character would fail at it or is it something if it's something that they in the case of perception um that the character would would easily be able to notice or That's rather right. that pretty much anybody would reasonably notice don't ask for the check just give them the information um it also helps if there is a dramatic reason. Is it exciting, you know, to to possibly uh, be able to perceive it? Or if you don't perceive it, is it more does it contribute to the drama of the circumstance? Um, yeah, drama, I think, is really key there. Like you also you definitely don't want to make a check, let's say. If failure means we can't move forward, right? right? Like you either need to say you don't need to make the check because I basically need you to do this or you you let's say they roll poorly, but they need to pass. Then there's some sort of cost affix to the success, like it takes longer or it makes noise or right, you know, but then you also notice this negative thing, right? Like, or I don't know what happens. But like right. if I if you want a character to, let's say, unlock a door and it's fairly difficult to do so, but it's also necessary that they get in, then I would just say a low check alerts guards. Right. Or right. So- something like that. But it doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting inside unless there's another way to get inside. And you may need to improv that, you know, right. sometimes that's the, the consolation prize of a failed check is. You cannot open the door. You sigh in frustration and look up searching for answers. But as you do, you notice that there's a windowsill. Right. There you like, go. That's one way to kind of to kind of handle it. But yeah, it should be something that's basically non-trivial, something that a heroic character like you could conceivably fail at. Right. And don't paint yourself into a corner. Yeah. And in the case of fifth edition specifically, um, all characters have a passive perception. Yeah. I, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about, you know, the GM has a lot of bookkeeping and stuff to yeah. manage, but you, if at all possible, note down just on a little piece of paper, what all the characters passive perceptions are. That's helpful. And, and just have it on hand when you prep. So then you'll know like, all right, is this something that I even really need to ask about? Or can I just straight up tell one of the characters? Because I know they have the perception that would pick up on this anyway. Maybe I just tell them straight out and I just plan for that when I'm prepping my session anyway. Yeah. Or if something's you know. sneaking up on them. You don't want to like ask what's your per- passive perception because now they're on alert. Right. right. <laughs> like you just want to know what it is. Well, so, and that also goes to um, also the idea of maybe just have a copy of their character sheet around, you know, yeah. if possible. But, uh, you know, I definitely would prefer having that like reference chart like you've talked about before. Yeah. With, but passive perception is certainly one of the things that needs to be on there. Yeah. Um, things like AC are helpful or. Yep. But anyway, let's 
Yeah, that I think we've answered that question. The next question. Okay, so this one's a little bit more difficult. Okay, this is like the the thing that we all struggle with sometimes. All right. What do I do when my players are not engaging dash like at all? <laughs> like at all. Like at all. And there were, I definitely saw some frustration with this where, where th- players just like, you know, looking down or, you know, looking through the book, but not like really playing or drawing. Like, you know, I, I would sometimes draw during D&D campaigns, um, but I was always like listening. I would look up and engage. Absolutely. Um, I was trying to make sure that kids weren't on their phones and that sort of thing. But sometimes they'd be like, I need to look up a rule. Right. You know, or whatever. And I'd be like, well, use the book. You know. But yeah, anyway, use the book. But um, what do I do when my players are not engaging like at all? Now, in this case, it's you have to also put it in context that, you know, they're in a classroom setting. So that it's not like I can just kick them. Right. Oh, sure. So like because we could say, well, in your home game, don't play with that person. And most likely, if they're not engaging at all, they might not show up next time. Well, I wouldn't even say in your home game, just kick the person. Okay. Um, to me, I think there's there's kind of two situations here. On the one hand, if it's it could be that it's an individual. On the other hand, it could be that the whole group is not really engaging. That's true. Um, yeah. The the real answer to this question in in both cases really is you ask the players you talk to them that is the answer objectively if well, somebody yeah. if, if somebody is not engaging the first step you take is to talk to them and and just see if you can figure out What's up? Because it could be that, especially if it's an individual, it could be that it has nothing to do with the game. You know, maybe something rough is going on at home or, you know, some other real life stuff is distracting them. That that kind of thing happens. Um, And it's and if that's what's going on, it's good to know that. So you can kind of, you know, just give the player their space or whatever they need and just, you know, let it ride. And you know that it's got nothing to do with the game. But on the other hand, and caveat to this as well, um, when talking to a player or players about uh, any issues Try not to be like accusatory, right? Or, like calling people out or making yeah. it pub. Like, and the more public you make it, the more they just have to fight back or whatever. Right. So that's never that helpful. But you know, we all have to take our part in, you know, as Spike likes to put it, owning our experience, right? Yeah. You know, like the the players need to own and do better. And if you need them to do better, then you're right. You need to talk to them. Um, but you as a GM also have a lot of power. 
And yes. you yourself can also work on engagement, which is a difficult um, art to master and to work on. And sometimes your styles just don't mesh and that's fine. But, you know, you might ask yourself why, and that can also come in the conversation with that person. Well, I'm just don't feel that engaged because I never feel like I make a meaningful decision or I don't feel that engaged because I can't follow the story. I don't right. understand what's what's going on, um, you know, or I was looking up a rule and then you moved on and then I got lost. Mm. So, you know, these are all useful things. So we could almost yeah. answer every question like this with talk to each other. So well, I, I think, I think that specifically though, for, for this situation, if somebody seems to be in whatever way, maybe it's not interaction. Maybe it's that they're being disruptive or, you know, if there are any issues with, the player not seeming to be interfacing with the game the way you had hoped or the way they maybe ought to be in, you know, not to say that there's a way you should play, but in terms of like, if someone's being disruptive, you shouldn't be doing that. And it's a good idea to find out maybe why this is going on. Um, yeah. And I don't know the exact, context or situation here this is not accusatory towards the gm but i will say that just a quick tip if you want to increase player engagement then increase engagement right like what what i see a lot of gms do sometimes is just sort of wax on and they sure. expect you to like hang on to every word and that's really difficult it's it's mm -hmm. difficult to do for more than a couple seconds. Sure. And you really want players to be able to be prompted into action fairly quickly, not necessarily combat action, but like you need them making decisions, delivering dialogue. You need to be facilitating right. their engagement often. So that's just one tip, I guess. Right. Um, there, there is another uh, thing that's really good to do um, that is, especially if you find yourself thinking that the group that you're, that your players um, either as a, as a whole entirely or a good size portion of them. Yeah. Um, don't seem to be engaging with the game in the way you had hoped that signals that there is a disconnect between you, the GM and the players. Yeah. And the best way to handle that is stop the game and basically have uh, another session zero where you kind of reset a little bit, sit down and go, Hey guys, let's talk about the, about the story and stuff. And let's talk about the campaign and kind of refresh what, what the expectations are 
for the campaign. If you're trying to run, like in my case, something serious like Curse of Strahd, and the characters are just murder hoboing around and it's all like yakking about memes and all this stuff and just screwing around, there's a disconnect between your aim for the tone of the game and Mm -hmm. your goals and hopes for the kind of story that you're trying to tell and have participation with. So... So Maybe the players need a bit of a refresher on that so they can kind of check themselves and make sure that they can that they are doing their part to put themselves in the right mindset so that you guys can have an overall fulfilling experience. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and I I like how the the GM, you know, it's talking about what your expectations are and what you want. But it's also about what they want too, right? Yeah. And and you know, this is something that sometimes people have difficulty expressing. Maybe they're having a bad time and they're not really sure why, right? Sure. And sometimes it is they're just being distracting and they just need to be checked. But yeah, there. But there are times where it's like, yeah, I'm not like I'm just not being engaged, right? Right. And, and both are, are valid. But this also brings us into a second question or a third question in this case. Okay. It says, what do I do when my players slash a player only causes chaos? So now we're having the opposite problem. And this I saw a lot of. Yeah. You know, and it's it's frankly the propensity of a lot of newer players, people that are just trying it out. Right. That enjoy the fantasy of chaos. They yeah. enjoy going off on their own, uh, doing the murder hobo thing, doing the, you know, rob everybody and burn every like commit arson. Uh, there's always like, I want to seduce the whatever. And like, you right. know, this is all chaotic nonsense. And I think that both questions can be addressed with this question. Like, what are you giving players as options? There is if if you're running the game by yourself and they're expected to behold your wonderment, then you are not engaging them. And this will lead to chaos. If you say you're in a town, what do you do? This will certainly lead to chaos. This is where you have given too much choice. There's Mm. no there's no roadmap, no direction. Mm. Provide players with meaningful, simple choices and do so often this is the best way to prevent chaos from happening because when do kids get in trouble when they're idle and they've got nothing to do you got to keep people busy but we are also trying to keep them entertained right and i think that you have to if you do those things like if you just say okay you enter to the town and here's my quick description of it and you know an old uh woman seems to have some trouble with her wagon and looks like she it's gonna collapse meanwhile the town guildmaster is calling for you to come near what do you do right the implication of the two choices you know makes perfect sense and there's certainly more nuanced options one can do within those parameters but there are parameters Right. There are 
there are at least clear hooks. They're clear hooks. Like, are, are you choosing the pra- like the practical solution or the moral solution? Right. That's the true question that we're asking. And you'll still get back onto the track of the story. No problem. Now, um, now, if your player then responds by pulling out the crossbow and shooting the old woman in the head, we, we do have a different problem. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and that that's kind of where my brain goes, because, yeah. you know, the my assumption is is okay are you the gm doing your part right if you are and if we now assume that you are then it's typically at least to me it's a matter of talking to that player outside the game yeah and and finding out maybe what kind of experience they are looking for or like if you have a player who in every serious moment feels the need to make like a wise crack or to interrupt dialogue. Yeah. Maybe that, you know, if you address that with that player and not in a mean way, just say, Hey, you know, I've noticed that in dramatic scenes or when there's some serious stuff going on, you feel the need to, it it seems like you like to make a lot of jokes or things like that. I would like to understand why, why that might be or something like that. Find out where they're coming from and where that is stemming from because it could be that they feel like they're in these kinds of situations a lot and they're getting bored of them or they feel like they're not really contributing in a big way. And, you know, it feels like a way for them to get some attention or to feel like they're doing something. Or it could be that, the serious stuff that's being dealt with is actually triggering them. Maybe it's some, especially Mm, with something like curse of Strahd, where there could be some themes there that especially the really dark stuff that maybe it makes them feel uncomfortable and that, and their disruption is actually their coping mechanism. Yeah. That's actually really insightful. Yeah. I, I think I see that all the time. I think I felt that a couple of times, you know, right. Um, yeah, you that's know. definitely real. Same thing with like just deflecting with humor. Yep. You know, we, we often see that like they're just showing memes and stuff. I yeah. did one time have the game and I think we've all had this game. I think that this is a relatable question, let's say. Absolutely. And I had a player younger that was like new to the game. And I explained up front, you will play a good aligned character. Mm-hmm. And you know me, I like to provide a lot of options. I like, and I usually oh, yeah. have pretty good engagement and things are going well. He immediately begins to cause chaos regardless. Yep. He begins committing murder and theft and arson and everything else. And so he gets arrested and executed. 
And yep. that that is the harshest answer. But it's also an answer. Like when you know that you have you have gone there and you've talked and you've you know, you've you've done your due diligence out after that. It is time to kill PCs. <laughs> um, and then you you give them the chance to try again or they can go home. Yeah. And, you know, of course, in the classroom setting is a little bit more difficult. But if it's just really not working, I'll just move that kid from your table. Right. But right. Um, yeah. At a certain point, you, if you have set expectations, you've talked to them and everything else and they yeah. and they still do it, then it's just not working out. Murder that PC. Right. Well, I I I feel like it's time to kill PCs is perhaps a bit hyperbolic, but I I would agree that the I think the general idea is start having major in-game consequences. Yeah, in-game consequences. You, know, you get sense. thrown in jail. You get, you know, you fall out of favor with an NPC that you really like, you know, you guys are trying to curry favor with the king, but your buddy just is like murdering people around town. Well, I guess the king is probably not going to be so inclined to request your help when really you're creating more of a problem for him. Yeah, exactly. So there's. That you know, there are all those kinds of consequences, and that can lead to a darker path. But the other thing you also have to keep in mind is that there are other players at the table, and yep, they may be trying to engage with the king or to, sure. you know, have a good reputation or follow the directions that you gave. Right. And now none of them can get work because no one will work with you know, your, your group. And sometimes it is better to separate that player through, through arrest or through death or whatever, you know, there's lots of reasons. And, and um, you can even telegraph that ahead of time too. Like if you, if you're thinking, okay, player messes around like this anymore, they're going to get arrested. If they typically have been exhibiting that sort of behavior you could even straight up have, you know, a guard or an in-game authority figure, you know, essentially tell them, look, I got you off the hook this one, this time, this one time, but, if but that, next time, if that happens again, they're going to cart you away. And then if that happens again, you pull the trigger and say, okay, you know, the paddy wagon rolls up, they chuck you in. And haul you away to to jail, you know, the player can't go, but you didn't tell me. I didn't know. You knew. You knew. Like you had ample. Right. And that's just, and sometimes you also have to demonstrate that. And normally I find, you know, same thing with class discipline. Like if I, if the kid is really disruptive and then I kick him out, usually the other kids are grateful that I did that. Oh, because yeah. they've just been they've been annoyed the whole time. And they're and like one time I kicked a kid out and another kid in the room was like, finally. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I guess I had been a little too soft that day. Right. Uh, um. Anyway, I want to move on to the next question, but cool. I think we I, th- I think we covered it pretty well. Agreed. 
So this one is is kind of funny, but also there is something meaningful here. I like funny. It, it says, if my guise is a large size, does it matter if you can kill him like with one shot? <laughs> First of all, the grammar is just on point, right? Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, but yeah, basically, is it okay that like, you know, what if I have a really big guy, but then he dies in one shot? Like, then, okay. So <laughs> I'm... All right, I'm going to I'm going to try I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that we are talking about villains or your big bad, right? This is a question coming from the could GM. Be a big guard could be, you know, even just the plain old ogre in the road like Right. They, but this you is know, this is a GM asking, not a player asking like, "Oh, I got my big Goliath. What if he gets downed in one go?" You know, it's yeah. this is a GM saying I've got an NPC that yeah, that got you know. one shot or whatever you know or just lost a lot of their hit points right up front. I think the, the first the yeah. uh, to me the the simple answer and I I think the objectively correct answer at least at the most basic level is okay if yeah. you if you got a big guy. And he gets downed, whether it's a one shot or or five or twelve. If he goes down legitimately, he goes down legitimately. If yeah. you have an NPC that you want to make sure does not get harmed, don't put them in harm's way until mm-hmm. you're ready. If if the NPC is there and the PCs have at least a reasonable reason to attack that NPC and they do a good job and take them down. You ought not to take that away from them. Generally yeah. speaking. Yeah. I think I would agree with that. Like you, if they kill him, they kill him, and that's right. cool. That means they did well. They get rewarded for playing. Well, if Maybe I put you made a mistake in front of you guys, and you guys are like, I'm going to punch him in the face. And I go, all right. And you do. And you roll amazingly. And like you <laughs> use a special ability that by the rules, like it sits him on his rear end. And then your buddy comes in and like super smites. And then his head explodes and he's dead. Like then he's dead, you know, and then he's dead. And you guys played your cards. Well, I mean, right. you know. That's the game. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people would would argue this point and, you know, they would they have reasons. And I think it's not necessarily wrong, but definitely the way I like to play it is I, you know, as a player, I wouldn't want to feel like my DM was messing with the numbers too much. I wouldn't want to know that they just added like 100 hit points to the monster necessarily like that's quite annoying. Right. And it punishes players for, for doing well, even if it is for like dramatic effect. Right. Yeah. Now, you that know, being said, if you yeah. have NPCs that are very important to you in terms of, you know, you want them to stay alive or, you know, I shouldn't even say want you need them 
to stay alive. Cause that's, yeah. that's really kind of where this question's coming from is like, I, I want this dude to be around then on top of not putting that NPC in danger. Also think from that NPC's perspective and ask yourself as that NPC, what would my contingencies be? What would my safety nets be? If I'm playing Strahd, I know he has certain abilities. Is he, you know, does he have a magic way to get out? Does he have somebody who could come help him? You know, if he's, if your guy is, is a normal human guard with no magic at his disposal, he's still a guard. If there's a ruckus and he gets taken down, maybe another guard hears and comes running and like grabs the body and toes it off. You could at least say, you know, if the guy went down, maybe he was mortally wounded and is like on the brink of death, but he gets pulled away. If, but if you do something like that, just make sure to consider what you can offer your players. Like maybe think about why they tried to take down the guy and maybe at least give him a bit of that. Like uh, we'll say for the sake of argument, say that guard was like a, a guard that they at least think is corrupt. The PCs think this guard is corrupt and they take this guy down because they think taking him down is going to stop this guard from doing some bad stuff that they think he's going to be doing or, um, you know, whatever the heck. Maybe the guard still lives, but if that guard was up to some shenanigans, maybe the player's still managed to throw a wrench into that. And the guard is able to, you know, not be able to inform the crime boss that he's secretly working for about this crucial information that he otherwise was going to, you know, ship off to him. Maybe the players did still successfully thwart that crime boss and that corrupt guards plan, even if, you don't actually have the guard die, right? So you're, as the players, you are still getting some reasonable reward or feedback for the actions you took. Yeah, it's something like, okay, you got him, so here's a thing, but he comes back to life later or, you know, whatever, you know, right. BS he used to get out of the situation that was still a reward for the players. That's I think that's that's good. Yeah, I think it's also kind of a kill your darlings sort of thing, but in a more passive sense, like Dean, really most RPGs in general <laughs> are are partly about improvisation and having oh, yeah. things happen that are unexpected. And sometimes that means that a character will go down unexpectedly and as much as you want your players to roll with unexpected things you throw at them you 
you know, turnabout's fair play. Right. Yeah, it is. And you, you know, you, you might find that this is actually an opportunity to more creativity. Yeah. Because there should be also consequences for that person dying. If, especially if they were important. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you people know, have whatever. families, people have friends, but I do want to point allies. out real quick that the question was about large size. And, and I think that we're probably taking it beyond that. And, and I think he just meant a big guy dies. That seems unlikely, right? It's like, mm. no, it's, it, it can happen, right? Yes. It can happen. It can and, happen. And, and that's fine. I mean, but also seriously, one of it's the- also possible that your players aren't following the rules properly and you don't know the rules well enough to enforce oh, them. Yes, that's true. You know, if like you s- just to hit it from that angle too. If it, I walk seem- around it, and I see players adding their strength score to their role. <laughs> oh, cry. Yeah. 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 He's going to hit. If it seems <laughs> incredibly unlikely, yeah, maybe double check the rules to make sure that you're doing it right. Well, power um, said that I add strength to my damage. So uh, yeah, yes, maybe another 18 damage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Plus my D20 roll. Right. Because he said yeah. it's like you always use a D20. So I rolled a 15. So that's, you know, 35 damage. 35 yeah. damage. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, but it also says plus six damage here on my sheet somewhere else. And I, I don't know how to put all this together. So I don't know why people know. say this game's so hard. Yeah, this game's easy. Oh, my I'm, gosh. I just. I killed like you know, seven kobolds in one go. Um, you know, yeah, and, and you see this kind of thing. So that's also possible. I do want to move on to the next question. Well, if we can, let me just throw this out there real quick for uh-huh. uh, the person who asked this question. Remember also that one of the greatest underdog stories of all time was literally a real big dude getting one shot david and goliath baby one shot bam on the ground (laughs) yep (laughs) that's uh yeah get good scrub get Um, good scrub (laughs) yeah get one shot that's uh yeah that is a good point actually Um, okay this is kind of like the opposite question in a way like (laughs) So enemies seem to have very high HP values that are too much to handle, even when their XP reward is on par with the party's recommended amount. Are these health values fair or should they be lower? Yes, so, they are fair. Read they the are rules. Fair. Yes. Learn the game. <laughs> yeah. And so what you might be finding is your players are because they don't know the game very well or they're not very skilled that they are underperforming, right? Like, you know, you, you three people rolled a support class and they don't really need to know to know what to do with it. Right. And, or or die rolls are going badly. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that can contribute, but the most likely problem I would say is either you're actually over tuning it because you don't know but he's talking specifically about HP value. So I would say it's more likely that your players just kind of suck because they're yeah. new 
And as they get better at the game, they'll they'll learn to take things down more easily. Tangentially, I would also say that um, while this may be less likely in the case of your class, given that most of the kids in your class, all of or well, I shouldn't say all, but the vast majority are inexperienced with the game or utterly new to it. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you are relatively experienced or have kind of done this before, um, because more people are going to listen to this than just the kids in your class, um, it could also be that you there might be a skill discrepancy between you, the GM and you uh, and your players. Maybe you, the GM, have been running for a while. You're seasoned and you've got it down, but your players are having a difficult time. Maybe you need to take a little step back, give them and maybe give them a little bit of coaching and say, hey, you know, think about this and think about that. And, you know, give a little few strategy tips, that sort of thing to help bring them up to speed. Yeah, I know I've said this before, but, you know, I had a game where my final boss was comically destroyed and dismantled. (laughs) And I and I had another game where at level one a wolf killed two PCs in one combat. It'll happen. You know, you know, sometimes it's dice. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's player competency. Yep. And, and yeah, maybe Andrew's right. Maybe you are just a combat genius. Could be. Um, But it is also, um, yeah, I mean, most likely, yeah, the, the, you need to give the designers credit. And a lot of people like to, um, pick on the designers because they like to sort of armchair your way through things. And like, the more I come to understand about this game, the more I learn about it, the more I realize that fifth edition is incredibly well-designed. Oh yeah. Like is it perfect? No, but it it. is amazing. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, really, especially with the, uh, with the rules themselves, you know, you get a lot of people, uh, asking sage advice, uh, Jeremy Crawford questions on Twitter and things like that about, you know, well, the rules says this and the rule says that as well, no pun intended, but as a rule, fifth editions rules are written very specifically and very deliberately. And, they're written in a way where the specific verbiage was chosen for a reason. So if a spell says it works a certain way, if an ability says it works a certain way as a rule, treat it as if you are a lawyer and going, what does it say specifically Cause there's rules as written or raw. And then there's rules as interpreted um, or, you know, the flavor or the spirit of the rule mm. more yeah, that, often. This actually than came not, up today. I had yeah. a student ask me cause it, they were looking at writing a character and they wanted to play a heron gone. And, uh-huh. and this was actually a really insightful question. Ooh, she, 
she was reading about the um, bunny hop or rabbit hop ability. Correct. That allows you to jump uh, five feet times your proficiency bonus. Right. So at level one, you can jump 10 feet. Mm-hmm. And she really impressed me with this question because she asked, if he can jump 10 feet, does he take falling damage? And uh, I said, technically, yes. I said, technically, if he leaps 10 feet in the air straight up, he will take 1d6 damage. But mm. I would never, as a DM, say that that happened, right? Like, that's Very where, like, interesting. like, the written and the intended, like, need to be interpreted by humans. Now, yep. the intention of the ability is to essentially disengage from combat without having to use the disengage action. Right. Right. And so it's it's kind of like a more of a sideways hop, if you will. Like, he's jumping back. Mm-hmm. Right. And presumably he's only like a couple of inches off the ground, you know, as he's right. leaping backwards, which is not going to hurt him. Right. You're just trying to get 10 feet away. It's like a short range misty step. Yeah. You know, but instead she's thinking about rabbit vaulting 10 feet straight up it, straight the in the air. Yeah. Because like, like I saw one argument somewhere where someone was like, if you jump, you know, then you don't take fall damage. But if you fall, you take fall damage. It's like, yeah, but if I, if you leap off the top of a mountain, <laughs> right? Like that doesn't matter. Right. Like you're going to take fall damage. Right. It's like, yeah. So yeah, technically there's this weird little glitch in Heron gone, but you know, nobody, no, no DM. Who's not just an a-hole would rule it that way. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So. And you know, when in doubt, look it up. Like Google it because chances are, if you have the question, someone else online has had that question. Oh and, yeah. Absolutely. And there are, Especially you know, in this game. Yeah. There, there will be some major experts out there who will probably have addressed your specific question. Probably exactly. So and a lot of people that think they're experts. <laughs> oh, that's true. I mean, just look at this show. Here's a fun question for you. <laughs> okay. This this one should make you laugh. I, I mean, I'm curious to see what your response is going to be. Can a <laughs> game last a whole month? <laughs> <laughs> I love there, that question. There's <laughs> that's great. <laughs> There are so many ways to answer this. <laughs> I know. Like, where do you even start? Right. Depends on your definition of month. Um, <laughs> Cause can you have like the game can take place over the course of a month in game. Maybe your characters, you know, I don't think that's what they're actually asking though. Uh, games can last as long as you want them to the longest that I have ever really played straight was maybe 12 hours, you know, 10 to 12 hours, assuming, uh, assuming, you know, meal and bathroom breaks is not asking whether or not we played for a month solid. And like that would be incredible peed on occasion. Uh, you know, like, no, like a campaign can last years. Oh, yeah, it is there, possible. There are there are people who've been 
playing an ongoing campaign for, you know, I I've heard of some that have been, that have lasted like 10 years, you know, and maybe, maybe the sessions are only monthly or maybe right, you, know, yeah. you get, you get some people who, uh, especially now when, as you grow up, people move and maybe you got some old buddies who make it a point to get together once a year and maybe they, you know, get a cabin or, you know, go crash at a hotel for a while or something. And maybe they play like nonstop over a weekend, but then they don't play again for another year until they get together to do it again. Or you play every week and that's four sessions. If you play once on the weekend for a month, maybe yeah. the oddball month that has five weekends or whatever. Yeah. So um, you can, you can play a one shot. Like we've talked about before where it's like one session and the story's over or you absolutely. can, you, you can do what I'm doing. And like, we're coming up on two years for the current campaign on Monday. Yep. You know, yep. like it is possible, but yes, you will just play in sessions that happen probably once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever. Yep. Your so, campaign can run as long as you guys want it to run. So that brings us to the next question, which is how does a game officially end when the GM says it does? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's pretty much the, it, right? That's pretty much it. Yeah. It's like the same answer. Like it depends, right? Sometimes yep. it, it, and you know, let me say this for anyone who's new to the hobby. Most games do not end properly. Most games just end. Or we, sh most, we should say campaigns. Yeah. Campaigns, right? Like most campaigns do not become fully resolved. Most campaigns, fall apart or um, change the direction or people get bored of it and want to do the next thing. Yeah. You know, there's so Joey moves away, you know, Timmy has a fight with Joey and they <sighs> Joey can't hang out and anymore. Timmy always you know, problem players. It's always, man. you know, that stuff happens. If but Joey and Timmy, if you guys are listening, you know what you cut did. it out. Knock it off. <laughs> Knock it off. Nobody likes that you thought I was going to yeah. say nobody likes you. That's not true. That's not the secret ingredient. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. right. But I am disappointed. We're not angry. We are disappointed. We're disappointed. Hashtag We're disappointed. SMH. Shake my but head. Ideally, games end when the story comes to a conclusion. Right. Right. And usually players have a good idea of about how long the campaign is meant to be. So it could be um, that, you know, you have that long stretching campaign that lasts for months and and comes to a satisfying final conclusion. And sometimes it's, hey, we're going to go into this dungeon. We're going to clear out, clear it out. And that's the end. Yep. Right. And so it depends. I but ideally it's with the end of the story. It can also end when all the players die. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, really, I. I would say, you know, though a TPK is a is a perfectly great time to, you know, call it. Um, 
death need not be the thing that uh you know you're you're literally talking about at least in um in the case of fifth edition you're talking about a game where magic exists so that's true yeah. you know you can you can get away with with a lot death doesn't need to be the the final stop but i would also say that um a campaign can also end when when you and or your group just feel that it's time. If mm. you guys have been playing a campaign for, it doesn't matter. It could be a month, could be five years. If you guys all kind of agree, you know what? That's I, over. I, I think, I think we're all ready for something new. You know, let's yeah call it on this one. If everybody's cool with it, fine. And if you're the GM and you're just like, I am so over this. I just, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Then, if you're having like an actively bad time. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. Yep. Um, but I, I will say I, first of all, I, I agree. I don't disagree, but I will also say that sometimes we, we don't feel terribly motivated and we should push through those feelings so that we can get to good stuff. At least with me, I find that sometimes I feel demotivated and if I push through, I usually have a good time and feel more satisfied that I did. So sometimes it is just, and, and I had to do this recently where campaign basically just ended. Yep. I mean, and and whether you push through or not, but, whether you push through or not, that's that's your prerogative as the GM. You know, yeah. you are your own person and you have to choose what's right for you. And, you know, never feel bad about making that choice, whatever that choice is. You are your own person and you have to decide what's right for you. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a game. And if you're if if you're playing the game and it's not fun, that kind of defeats the purpose. So, you know, just be conscious of where your heart's at. Be conscious of where your head's at and think about what you need and what your players need. And like we've said a bunch of times already. Talk, talk to each other. If you're having a bad time. Talk to your players. Let them know how you're feeling because then maybe you guys can work through it and maybe there is a way to salvage the campaign or maybe you can fix things or maybe you find out, you know what, this is just not what I'm looking for, what I need right now. Maybe this just, it's not what I hoped it would be or whatever. And you know, you make the call that you have to make and that's okay. So just remember kids, Andrew says it's okay to quit when you're not liking it. Yep. <laughs> Always just quit. Okay. Uh, next question. This one, I just love the wording on this. Okay. Um, how does the currency work in D and D? Like when will we need to use those? <laughs> wow. <laughs> So, so money 
you see, is an accepted <laughs> form of exchange yes. that uh, represents. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. Uh, hopefully, you know, you're a lot of these players probably don't necessarily know because this might not have come up in the short time they had for their games. Okay. But generally, yeah, like in real life, money is used to buy stuff. Um, so is the question bu- like, what do with gold? What do with gold? I think that the question is probably more directed to like, there's like five tabs of exchanges, like currencies on my character sheet, but oh. I only ever really seem to deal with gold. Like, what's the point of this? Copper, silver, platinum and that other one that we never speak of (laughs) bike yeah that's right so like so the simple thing is there are 10 coppers copper being the lowest form there are 10 coppers in one silver there is 10 silver in one gold there are five electrum pieces in one gold just to set it just to make everything terrible and then there's um 10 gold in one platinum. So um, when does it come up when your characters don't want to carry around the weight of one currency? Because as it turns out, coins actually do weigh something. Oh, yeah. You imagine having a big sack of gold discs that get real heavy. This is one of those rules that like a lot of GMs kind of ignore. But like on roll 20, if I noticed that like, oh, yeah, when my character had a lot of money, it's like I was over encumbered like all the time. Oh, yeah. You just because of gold, that big, nasty red number staring you in the face all the time. Yeah. Okay. You know, money's money in D&D is easy peasy. You'll there are shops that will charge you gold or copper, silver, what have you. Um, if you have only looked at the player's handbook, um, you may not, especially if you haven't played much or at all, uh, your GM may not have actually had you go to a shop where you have to buy stuff. Um, one of the classics is going to a tavern. You know, if you want to get a drink, then you typically pay for it. And, you know, those things normally cost silver instead of gold. A lot of, um, you know, especially after just playing video games a lot, very often gold is just kind of verbally used interchangeably with money, where the word gold just refers to money in general. Um But in this, you know, typically gold is, you know, has a certain value and can buy, you know, more than a silver piece. If you go to an inn, you know, and you order a, if you order an ale, they're not going to charge you a gold piece. They'll probably charge you like three copper or something like that. Unless this is like the rarest vintage of fancy. Right. Yeah. Like you, you might see, I think there's like some stuff that's like 20 gold, but it's like really fine 
oh, you know, yeah. outlandishly good stuff because like the average peasant doesn't have a gold piece to their name. Right. Um, do we have time? Do you think for like one more? Yeah, or? Do, let's do one more. All right. So there, we'll end on one more being kind of a little more serious, let's say. All right. Um, how do you get the game to continuously flow? Mm. That one's a little harder, right? Like, well, I, I, I like having the easy questions in here. Like, how do money work? How do right? money work? That's that's great. Um, I mean, then, then we have how do I how do I do game flow? Like, that's a real question. Like, good question. We are still working on that ourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's also a pretty vague question because flow in terms of gameplay means different things to different people. And really to don't overthink it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, to me, when I hear someone talk about gameplay flow or having the game flow nicely, that's really a matter of. Um, just smoothness. So minimizing hiccups and things like that are like, you know, knowing the game enough so you don't have to stop and look up rules or um, having prepped enough so that you have a good general idea of what your session is going to include or, um, having had a good session zero so that all your expectations, yours and your players line up. So everybody's on the same page, you know, any, any efforts that you can take to make sure that everyone is on the same page and knows what their role is in the in the exercise of playing the game that will help it flow better if if you come to the table and you don't quite know what you want to do with the session or how to do what you do want to do that will screw up the flow also if you have disruptive players you know whether they in are doing it intentionally or not. And you haven't dealt with that. That can also mess up the flow. But other than that, it's, it's just practice. You know, a, a game will flow when you're having fun. You know, that's, that's how, you know, that's how, you know, you've got flow. <laughs> if you're, if you're, If you're having a good time, if your players are having a good time and you lose track of time, that's when you know your game's flowing well. And when the game is not flowing well, you'll feel it. Oh, for sure. And all you got to do, have a notepad there or something. And when you realize that there's a hiccup or something screwy going on that's making the game not feel right, jot yourself a little note about like what's going on right now when you're feeling the flow be kind of broken. Is someone stalling? Are you trying to figure out a rule or maybe somebody just 
came up with something really interesting and you're trying to figure out how to how to adjudicate it. You know, players do that all the time. They'll come up with stuff that you never in a million years would have prepped for. And, you know, you may feel like you're caught flat footed. Um, and maybe that can tell you, oh, I just need to, you know, practice my improvisation a little bit and thinking on my feet. And that's stuff that just comes with time, you know? So I think one thing that popped into my head while you were describing that was mm-hmm. sort of the energy of the room. Oh yeah. Right. Like what, what is it that is flowing? Yep. That's a big one part way. Of one way that you as a GM can improve flow is to, react to the decisions of your players and to congratulate them and to be awed by them. And I think that you as a player can also do the same. If For you, the GM and your fellow players. Yeah. If you create that sense of, Oh, I'm listening. Oh, that was cool. And I, by the way, I appreciate when players do this. Like even when I know they're just kind of trying to turn it on at all, like, it as soon as a comedian's first joke lands, right? Like they're going to start feeling flow when, yep. When I was doing acting in high school, if my character developed, delivered a joke or a line or something and got the proper reaction, then oh, I was fired totally. up. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the rest of the evening. And so I, I think it really, you know, does kind of come back to that secret ingredient thing, show each other some love, show each other some some appreciation even if you have to kind of force it up front yep. it improves flow quite a lot yep oh and my god like, cuz you're creating morale tell if you're a player tell the other players have your good job have <laughs> your character in game express how cool they think something else someone else did was if you're the player and the GM is like throwing something at you, if they seem like they threw a twist at you or something, even if you're like, like, like you just said, Adam, even if you got to force it a little bit, give the GM some oohs and ahs or gasps, you know, react to things because it's gratifying for everyone. Tell, Nobody likes somebody who's just constantly talking about the cool stuff they did. And yeah, it's so annoying. And then, you know, but on the flip side, how good does it make you feel when When somebody tells you, man, that thing you did was awesome. I'm so stoked that you're here. You've contributed meaningfully to me and my experience. Like do that for someone because I bet you do it enough. And they'll do it to you. If I'm playing like a bard or a cleric, I definitely want someone to say something to the effect of, man, I love bards. Right. Right. You know, like after you, they succeed on something they were going to miss because they had a bardic inspiration. Yep. You know, or like they're dying and you give them that heal, whatever. Like there's, there are moments like, yeah, tell them they're awesome. Tell them good job. That's so important. You know, it's, uh, similar to that, 
but a little bit different when, especially as, and this is like specifically for players, when you are confronted with a situation and you think that the situation is or could be a good fit for another character's skill set, recommend that player. Ask that player's character what they think. Like, Mm, you know, if you come to a locked door and you're the fighter, or, or I'm the fighter, as the case may be usually, you know, my first instinct might naturally be, well, I'm going to just smash it down. But I could instead go, mm, the door's locked. And uh, I go, and I'm just about to smash it down. And I think, wait a minute. And I turn, and I say, Benson, you're good at picking locks. Come here. I need your help. And call yeah. the rogue over and have him show right. off a little bit. And when he picks that lock, like you know he's going to do, and you know he's going to do it well, make a big deal out of it. Oh my God, I love you, you crazy little bastard. You just made it right through that. I almost made a huge ruckus. But now, thanks to you, we're in nice and easy. Good job. Mm-hmm. You know, how good would that make you feel? Yeah, that's good. Um, it's uh, I, yeah, I think we've we've taken that one home. But yeah, I, it's good to compliment and to access each other. I have seen a lot of players kind of try to solve all problems, right? Because they yep. want to show they want everyone else to react to them. But sometimes that player is also doing that because so far no one has. Yep. <laughs> right. And. Yep. Man, if only everyone could see how awesome I am. And, you know, a lot of people are trying to do this in the game. Yep. Another way that I've been working on to improve flow has just been to keep talking to players like uh, like from the from the GM side. Like, you know, if 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 I notice a player hasn't been engaged often, usually try to pick on them, you know, try to present them with something that they can use. Yep. Um, Ask them a question directly. If they seem stumped, maybe provide a hint, maybe um, ask them leading questions that can help them think about the problem. Right. You know, these are um, these are ways like it's it's easy as a DM sometimes to like stand back and go, well, I asked them the question. Now it's up to them. Right. right. And, and sometimes you want to do that, but sometimes it can create some tedium. Yeah. And often what I see is one or two players fully engages with the problem and everyone waits for those two players to solve the problem. And then we're not flowing. We're, we're stalled. Right. And I mean, and sometimes there that's also needs unavoidable, to be like a, but yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to give things a time limit. Like if a puzzle is just taking too long. Right. Like with the riddle I gave you guys, like the series of riddles I gave you guys like a week ago. Right. Um, you know, it went on longer than I had expected, but I kind of let it go because it seemed like everybody was like kind of into it. Yep, we were. So it was just like, oh, okay, well, you just read. But the I room. also, I just try. Yeah, you kind of read the room, and sometimes you just have to go. 
Oh, you discovered the secret latch. Good job. Moving on. Okay. Or, you know, just that that's when that's a also um, at least in that specific instance, it's a good opportunity. If you feel like players are getting stalled, um, thinking of uh, what player character has certain kinds of knowledge or expertise and basically using that as an excuse to give a hint to kind of move things along. Yeah, especially if you have a, something like an artificer yep. in a group and there's like and you're in like a complex trap dungeon like that person could definitely notice something about the mechanisms, you know, or you could say, well, the enemies arrive and they press the button on the other side of the of the bridge that opens it up to a safe walk walkway so they can come attack you. Right. Well, effectively, they've also disarmed the trap for you. Yep. Right. So now you've traded in your your task about solving a trap to, okay, let's just have combat because that's what you want. Right. Um, and th- that's fine either way, as long as the players are going to, to find entertainment with that. Right. So great. Anyway, I think that's a pretty good question to probably wrap things up on. I think so too. Good, good stuff. And thank you to all, all the folks who asked those questions. Um, mm-hmm. If I I take it, we there are a bunch more questions that we didn't get to. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's definitely a few more. Okay, uh, so there were a couple I skipped there where I was like, eh, it's a little bit, but um, for the most part, there's some good stuff here. There's plenty more questions to be had. Cool, and uh, yeah, we could probably come back in and do this some more. Yeah, I would like to get more questions from like our patrons and people in our Discord and stuff like that. Um, even people on like, uh, Facebook, you know, just go ahead and drop some questions in and let us know if there's stuff that you want us to, to address. And if any of you are so inclined to hit us up over on our discord, you can go over to patreon.com slash inspiration point and support us at any of the levels you find there. And if you support us at the highest you will be able to jump into a game run by Mr. Adam Power here. Um, mm. So if you check that out, please, please give it a look. Um, and if you'd like to visit our website, you can find us over at inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. And at our website, you can find our episodes as well as three little buttons that will take you to our social media, our Facebook, Twitter, and also the Patreon in three little bubbles that you'll find in the upper right-hand corner or in the upper center if you are on mobile. So all that having been said, I think our thought for this week is just... You know, ask questions. Don't feel like you have to know everything. There's a lot to this game. There's a lot to this hobby. And there are always ways that we can improve. And when you've got a question, go look for the answer. Read the book. Check out all the resources that are out there. And you'll find the answer. And, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, the biggest answer is always... Just use a secret ingredient. 
it'll never lead you wrong. That's true. There you go. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye. Bye.